so wound up in his message, forgot my responsibility, man. Great song. All right, John, uh, Revelation chapter 1. I want to continue looking with you at this fantastic book. And uh, I want to share with you uh, a little bit more in depth this evening out of chapter 1. Um, introduced, we've been introducing this to you for a couple studies now, a couple uh, settings, uh, yesterday morning and evening, and I want to expand on that a little bit more. Uh, again, Revelation has uh, three basic sections to it. We're dealing with the first chapter, which is the introduction. And in the introduction, he introduces four things. It was the prologue uh, section, the persons uh, of our Godhead that's interacting and moving in and among the church uh, in the world of this church's day, uh, bringing about God's plan for this hour, that's their God. And in response to that, he introduces this praise section, which is really significant. And then from verse 9 down through the end of the first chapter, uh, he introduces to us the Patmos section, which is all about his calling. And uh, to write down everything that he sees in the prophecy and then deliver it to the seven churches. Send it off to the seven churches. So we've been walking through this section. I want to look with you tonight at verses 19 and 20, which is the climactic event of this Patmos section and of the first chapter. It's all been building to this point. Specifically, the Patmos section. Uh, some of the really significant aspects of the Patmos section is he talks about his unique calling. Uh, we'll deal with this more specifically tomorrow night, but he deals with his unique calling to write down the prophecy. In verses 10 and 11, he is uniquely called. Uh, we dealt with callings, have been dealing with callings in the last several months. Um, this really intrigued me because uh, he talks about this calling that he receives and, and it's alluding to the callings that the church receives. And... In light of that language, you begin to kind of look through the New Testament at the varieties of callings that we receive as Christians. And I found that as Christians, we receive three callings. And just to summarize those really quickly for you, we see, receive the universal call, which is the call uh, that every single person, whoever is, whoever was, whoever is, and whoever will be, receives, and that's the calling to be a Christian. Uh, my theological perspective is is that everyone who's ever been born does not surprise anyone who's been born, did not surprise God, but God has called them to be a follower, to be a child of God, and He chooses us. See, I cannot look at a little child uh, in the nursery and say, well, hey, uh, there's a chance that God looks at that child and says no matter what it ever chooses, he or she ever chooses, uh, He didn't elect for them to be a, a child, that they were born going to hell. See, I can't, I can't get there biblically on that. See, I believe there's a universal call that everyone, God looks at them and says, you are in. Okay, It's a calling to be a child of God. Another calling we receive is the uncommon calling, which has to do with the, the variety of gifts, talents, and abilities. Some are called to be ears, some are called to be mouth, some are called to be leg, some are called to be arm. Uh, there's a variety of callings within the body. This one here in the Patmos section is the unique call. That everybody is uniquely called to ministry. Uh, a couple examples of the unique calling is the father. See, I'm a father. I am called to be a father of my child. It's a unique calling. And you can say, okay, well, there's all kinds of fathers out there, so it's not unique. Well, yeah, it is, because you're not called to be the father of my kid. He put him in my home. And I was handpicked to be that boy's father. I was handpicked to be that girl's father. Um, another unique calling I have is to my wife. 
I am in a unique relation to her among all the other women on the face of this earth, even my own mother. And I am uniquely called to minister to her. So we are uniquely called. He expresses that calling. All of his language is unique. If you want to hear about it, you can get it. It's on the table. Uh, so it's out there. Verses 10 and 11. It's called the kingdom call. So these, this unique calling. Well, he hears this voice, verses 10 and 11, which commands him, gives him this unique calling. Well, he does what any of us would do. He turns around to see who's speaking to him. He heard a voice like a trumpet. And he describes the person speaking to him from verses 12 down through verse 16. And that's the, that's the depiction of Jesus who's walking in and among the church. But the church is not called the church. The church is referred to as lampstands. And that's ministry language. See, when God looks at you, He sees you through ministry, uh, through ministry perspective. Through a ministry perspective. With ministry eyes, you might say. He sees you as a lampstand. I do not believe that He sees you with physical characteristics. Now, it's interesting... To give you an illustration of this, the very first church, which is Ephesus, see, they, they have not, they have, it says in verse 4, Jesus says that they have forsaken their first love, which has to do with Jesus and the partnering in ministry to that area in which they've been given. They've forsaken that. They've forsaken Him and they've forsaken the partnership with Him because you can't be used by Him if, if you're not in intimacy with Him. So He tells them, verse 5, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Now listen to this. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That's not physical language. Oh, Jesus is going to come and burn down our church. No, he's not. Rest assured. Be easy. It's okay. Relax. He's not going to burn down your church. He's going to remove your ministry. I mean, you can still meet, gather together, have services, take an offering, hang out, but I'm not going to be there. I'm going to take your ministry and move it on to another place. So the idea is of, of, of the churches is they are called as lampstands. And the paradigm of ministry, as we've been walking through this thus far this week, but as we've been walking through in our studies, the paradigm of ministry is that our ministry is, uh, is to be a lampstand, and the lampstand is about holding up the lamp, who is Jesus, who gives the light, which is the glory of God. See, our calling, our ministry is to hold up Jesus. See, we're to push Jesus. We're to be Jesus pushers in our world. So this is what he describes in verses 12 down through verse 16. And Jesus is the one who's helping us with that. He's sourcing us with that. He's enabling that. He's, see, he's the one that's, that's enabling us to hold him up to our world. As the Father ministered through Jesus, Jesus ministers through us, enabling that to happen. Uh, you come into verses 17 down through verse uh, 20. And this is his response, and I will look with you specifically at verses 19 and 20, which is the commissioning. Okay, They've been called, he reveals to them that they've been called as lampstands. Now he's saying, go do that. That's verses 19 and 20. Okay, It's the commissioning to go do that. Now, here's the problem. Oftentimes, and it's just, I don't know where we picked this up, but oftentimes, the call to ministry... It, it almost assumes that there is something that we need to do. Uh, that our partnering with God requires our activity. Uh, God calling me to ministry. What do you want me to do? See, I, one of the things that I'm finding biblically, and it, this couldn't be for me. I didn't make this up because I'm not that smart. But one of the things we've been finding throughout the New Testament, but especially in the book of Revelation, is that ministry 
is not just about God doesn't call you to to have you perform an action. See, the whole beauty of Christianity and especially the holiness message is not what I do, it's what He does. Um, We take three interns every year and they they travel with us and they learn about ministry. And it's, it's, it's comical because I was there. I had these guys that come and and they're, boy, they, they, they're ready to minister. And they've been equipped. Oh, they've got great talent. They've got great ability. They've got great personality. Well, God can really... And see, I, I was fed that kind of stuff. People would come up to me when I was first called and say, Well, God's going to use you. Because you have things that, boy, that God, you could really help God. In fact, He's really needed you all these years. The whole thing's about to tank. Thank, thank the Lord that He sent you. you know, that, that, that's what was fed to me. That God could really use me. In fact, I don't know how he got along without me, to be quite frank with you. I mean, just man. I mean, are you are lucky to have that kind of that kind of mentality. Do you know how unbiblical that is? What I have learned as a Christian is that your greatest talent can be your, your biggest detriment. Because you can lean on talent before you lean on Jesus. And I don't need talent. I'm not interested in talent. In fact, uh, I sense what I sense in your ministry is wonderful because... See, I've been in services where they've had great talent. And talent cannot reproduce him. Talent cannot reproduce him. In fact, I had a minister tell me early on in in my calling, you know, you can be an absolute bonehead of a minister. But if you're in the truth and you're communicating the word, it will carry you every time. It will carry you. See, the commissioning that we're receiving here, that, that the church is receiving here, it's not a commission to do something It's a commission to go out and be used by Him. That's the emphasis of the calling, really. Now, uh, the paradigm for ministry, to give you a quick opening illustration of this, the paradigm of ministry was actually set for us, and this is an older study, uh, back in verse 5. Jesus is, is the example of a faithful witness. Okay, he's a witness. The Greek, there's a variety of words for witness that are used in the book of Revelation. This particular one is used to identify countless number of Christians throughout the book of Revelation. It's the Greek term martyr. Okay? And it's literally, it's literally a witness. But the neat thing about the term martyr, I thought I knew the definition of the term martyr when we first started studying this. I thought I knew the definition of a martyr. A martyr is someone who dies... For the faith. Yeah, that's what a martyr is. That's what I thought a martyr was. That's not the definition of a martyr. In fact, you could go down here to the metropolis of North Pekin. Okay? Stand right outside the gas station. Someone could walk right up to you, point a gun at you and say, hold on. Are you a Christian? And you could say, yes. And they shoot you for that. That does not make you a martyr. So you may not want to do that. Okay? I mean, you can if you want to. But if you're looking to be a martyr, don't do that because that's not the biblical definition of a martyr. You know what the biblical definition of a martyr is? Look, any Greek lexicon, you'll find this. The biblical definition of a martyr is someone who dies for their faith, but intertwined with that death is a proclamation of the gospel. Every time. Now, when I first read that, I thought, oh, wow. Well, obviously, he's talking about a preacher whose sermon is so bad they kill him. Okay? I just... <laughs> We can't take it. Kill the guy. Okay? Or he's out there preaching and it just causes such conviction. They just pull out it. But then it, when I really begin to look at the word, martyr, it's not a verb, it's a noun. To break all the, the word study down for you, it's interesting that it is someone who dies for their faith for a proclamation of the gospel, 
But in the proclamation of the gospel, they're not doing anything because it's not a verb. It's a noun. And I thought, well, then how does that work? And I did, this never dawned on me. The message in the book of Revelation about ministry is not about activities. See, you can go out. There's a difference between witnessing and being a witness. Yeah. Biblically. Yeah. And you can walk out and witness and talk about Jesus without being a witness. Yeah. See, being a witness is just, you can't help it. It's like waking up and being Jeremiah. I don't wake up in the morning and say, I want to be Jeremiah. What does Jeremiah do? Oh, this is what he does and he does that. Well, that doesn't want, that's not what makes me Jeremiah. What makes me Jeremiah? I just am. It's I am. I am Jeremiah. If you want to, as honest as I can be with you, I would love to wake up in the morning and be a Christian. See, I don't want to wake up and do Christian things because you can wake up and do Christian things and not be a Christian. I want to wake up in the morning and just be a Christian. Feel the way that he feels. Yeah. See the way that he sees. Yeah. Just I, that's, that's the message. Now, in ministry, that's the paradigm of ministry in the book of Revelation. And I want to prove it to you. See, the paradigm of ministry is not about... See, wouldn't it be wonderful, folks, if Jesus came to you and said, Oh, I just I long to use you. Oh, I'm just... Oh, I want to use you. Our natural response would be, What do you want me to do? And Jesus would say, Nothing. I don't want you to do anything because you'll screw it up if you try to do anything. Okay? I don't, I, really, I don't want you to do anything. Well, then how in the world am I going to minister if I'm not going to do anything? I want you to just stand and be still and... To, that, that's ministry, folks. Now, in verses 19 and 20, here's what he does. He begins, I'm going to read it in reading out of the NIV, begins in verse 19, Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, that's what he says. It's interesting that John's ministry specifically is three things. I mean, it's really blatant. Three things. He says, write what is now. Excuse me. Write what is now, what will take place later. Hold on. Oh, excuse me. Write, write therefore what you have seen. I missed that, missed that line. Good night. Praise the Lord. Okay, verse 19. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. What you've seen, what is now, and what will take place later. So, uh, what, what is now is fairly easy to understand. It is the context in which each one of these churches are ministering. We're going to talk to you about that tomorrow. Okay? It's the context in which each one of these churches are ministering. That's what is now. What will take place later is the reward or the outcome of the ministry. Uh, and, of course, what is seen is verses 12 through verse 16... Okay, what he saw about Jesus. See, he sees Jesus. He turns. He has this call. Jesus says, write what you see. Send it to the seven churches. Verses 10 and 11. So John turns around and he sees verses 12 through 16. He sees who Jesus is. That's what he communicates to these seven churches. Now you see that in chapters 2 and 3, at the outset of each of these churches, Jesus gives a, uh, there's a depiction of Jesus. And in fact, it's all in the red letters uh, Jesus is the one who's giving him uh, the information here on, on, on writing. So Jesus is giving a depiction of himself. Uh, to the church in Ephesus, he says, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Again, that is what John saw. 
That's what John saw. Because if you go back into verses 12 down to the end of the chapter, you see him walking among the seven golden lampstands and he's actually holding the seven stars in his right hand down in verse 20. So he's writing what he saw. If you go to the next church, Smyrna, and it's in every one of them. But Smyrna, he's the one who's the first and the last who died and came to life again. See, that's back in here. So each one of these description of Jesus, it's what he saw that is, that is presented to the seven churches. So write what you have seen. Then he says, write what is now. See, what, is, what he saw, Jesus is the answer. He is the condition for the ministry context in which they are placed. So what is now is the current situation in which each one of these churches are in. What is seen, what is now. What will take place later is the result of cutting Jesus loose within that context of ministry. Each church has that. Each church has an introduction, the context of their ministry, and the result. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you do this, this is the reward. So what is seen, the context of ministry, and the result. Now, the commissioning rests actually, and I'm going to get made fun of for this because I'm always made fun of for preaching entire sermons on one word, but the entire commission of this ministry rests on the first word. In the original language, it's the first word. In the NIV, it's the second word. It's, it's the word therefore in verse 19. The entire condition of... The, 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 excuse me. The entire commission of ministry rests in, uh, in the word therefore. Therefore is a conditional term. Okay, it's a conditional term. Okay, it sets up a condition. Um, this will happen if this condition is met. Okay. Um, in fact, the definition of that term wrote it down just in case you wanted to know. It is therefore is used to introduce a logical result from what proceeds. Okay, to introduce a logical result from what proceeds. An example of this. Uh, he uses this term, obviously, several times. It's a common method of writing. He uses it in Pergamum, verses 14 through 16. And in verse 14, he says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there. This is the, this is the condition in which they're living. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who are holding to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. You also have those of the Nicolaitan group, he says in verse 15. He says in verse 16, Therefore, repent. See, this, this is the condition in which you're living in. Okay? This, is, this is the deal. Because of this, you need to do this. You have people that are following the teachings of Balaam. You have people that are all wrapped up into the teachings of this group, the Nicolaitans. Because of that, you need to do this. Therefore, sets that off. Another example of this would be in the church of Ephesus. Uh, and we, we already looked at this, that they have forsaken their first love. They're to remember the height from which they have fallen. And because of that, they need to, because of the height from which they have fallen, they need to repent. So in verses 19 and 20, th this whole thing is set off by this word, therefore. See, he gives you this picture of Jesus that is walking in and among the churches whom he calls the lampstands. See, they are the lampstands. They are the ones that are to minister. They're to hold up Jesus. They're to hold up the lamp. Because of that, because of their calling to ministry, because Jesus is the one that's enabling that, He is the one that's ministering to them, because of that condition, they are able to minister. Okay? 
So the, the idea, what's, what's cast to these seven churches, the message to these seven churches is that they are called to be a lampstand. They're the called to hold up Jesus. That is the significance of their ministry. That's what they're called to. They're called to stand in the middle of the world and hold up Jesus. And because of that calling, they are going to be able to stand in their community and be used by God. Now, it's interesting to me that when you go throughout the book of Revelation and you watch how God ministers, and there's a, there's a partnering, see, there's a whole partnering deal that takes place in Revelation. There is an idea that uh, God ministers apart from you and I, which I personally believe that's the downfall of every single church. That we're just going to sit back and pray and God's going to bring people into the building. Sorry. <laughs> just, that, I'm, it doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. God has handpicked us to partner with Him. And you would say, well, what's our role? And he does the rest. See, you don't need talent for that. You don't need ability for that. See, you stand in your world and be a witness in whatever context in which you live. You stand at your job. You stand in your home. You stand in your neighborhood. And you hold up Jesus to your world, which takes no talent and ability. And that's your partnering with God. Not an activity partnering, but a being used, being a vessel partnering. Now, an example of this would be in Revelation chapter 11. I, I got interested in these two witnesses that are talked about in chapter 11 because I want to be one of them. I think that'd be kind of neat. You all go to... They die. <laughs> Been heading there all my life. You guys go to heaven. I'll stay here. But it's interesting... Everybody always talked about, and I read the common commentators on this. See, all the commentaries, all the commentators want to talk about is, oh, more they can stop the rain, and, and they'd get in power to do this, and they'd be getting power to do that. Do you know how he describes their ministry? In the New English translation, it's in parentheses, it's not in the NIV. It says in verse 3, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they'll prophesy for 1,260 days. What a revival. Clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. <laughs> what's, going, what's going to be the content of their ministry? <clears throat> see, what, see, what else is there to do? Well, they're going to go and they're going to heal and they're going to... Come on. Is that going to happen? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But see, the big deal is they're going to go stand over there, wherever that's going to be. Okay, they're going to go over and stand in the middle of the enemy's turf, and they're going to hold up Jesus and go. And God's not going to let anybody touch him for 1,260 days. And then they die, and that's the bad part. But the deal is, <laughs> is for that 1,260 days, they're used by him. See, there's no... He doesn't, and, and again, they, he talks about some of the aspects of what they're going to do, but see, if they're going to sum up their ministry, see, they're going to hold up Jesus. See, that, that's the big deal. That's the heart of the commission. See, all he tells these churches is hold me up. He tells them what he looks like. Hey, I am the one who, this is your context for ministry, hold me up to that group, and if you do that, this will happen. See, what would happen? I, I'm an attendant evangelist. You should listen to me. 
What would happen if everyone in your church said, hey, I want to be used by God. I, I want to be used by God within the context of the body of Christ. What would that look like? I, I want to propose to you, you, honestly, not just preacher stuff, you don't have to go out and look for that. You don't have to go out and look for that. See, the idea is that we come to church, this, this is what I see, we come to church and we learn, okay, how, how can I minister? What can I do? I know, I'll pass out flyers. You know, I will go rake leaves once a month, rake leave day. Okay? Or we'll have friends Sunday on... You make it so hard. It's not that hard. See, what if, what if being used by God is just within my context of ministry? It's interesting that the church in Ephesus is not called to go minister in Smyrna. Because they weren't placed in Smyrna. You'd say, well, I'm a factory worker. See, what if God handpicked you and placed you at the factory, not for making money, but for... And that was your context of ministry. And what if down at the factory, you chose one person there and said, Jesus, I'm going to pray for that guy. I'm going to love that guy. I'm going to fast for that guy. I'm going to pour my life out for that guy. I'm going to save and buy a boat so that I can minister to that guy. And then you take him fishing and they can't get away because <laughs> they're in the water. Let's say swim. But the deal is, is you get that guy and you love that guy and you for one year. And you win that guy to Jesus. Within your context of ministry. Folks, that's how I was saved. That's how I was saved. Within the context of my life, a guy liked to surf and I liked to surf and he loved Jesus and I loved drugs. And my life began to fall apart because of drugs. And he stood there and went. Amen. And he held that out to me. And I said, I don't know, it looks pretty good. And he was using my life. He was not, I wouldn't, and I don't, you know, we're not being judgmental, but I, I look back at him and I don't think he was the most, he wasn't like a beacon of light guy. You know? He wasn't, I'm serious, he wasn't like a Mother Teresa in male form. He had issues. See, but what if it's not? What if it's not about all of that kind of getting cleaned up and go get a couple degrees and and, and get a hundred twenty thousand dollars school bill? It's a great idea. And then uh, you know, go out and be trained and learn how to preach correctly and, and how to use. See, what if all that's not necessary? It's a good idea. Read, go to school. Okay, but what if the number one commissioning the call for ministry in our life has to do with standing in the middle of the context in which He has placed you and holding Him up? In fact, one of the things that I'm finding. You can't miss that. You can't miss that unless you rebel. Since I was, since I've been gone, um, I've had a couple opportunities for ministry that I've missed. And um, I was at this church in Kentucky, and they did this weekend thing, and they wanted to incorporate. It was a really neat idea. They wanted to incorporate their community, and they wanted to do some type of Halloween theme weekend over Halloween. I went. I thought it was a great idea. My wife and, and my son, my daughter wasn't born yet, uh, stayed back in Dunkirk, Indiana, where her family was raised. And, and it was his first Halloween where he's going to get, the, and they dressed him up as a dog. And, uh, you know, he did that. So, it's a couple years ago. Well, um, I went to this church. And uh, it was, uh, it was like the first night, I think is what it was. It was Friday night, and it was Halloween night. I'm pretty sure that's what it was, and and I'm uh, we had just gotten the bus, hadn't had it too long, 
maybe six, eight months. And uh, I'm laying in the back. The lights are off. I'm laying in bed. It's like midnight, quarter to one, something like that. And um, I'm, laying, I'm laying there in bed, talking to Corinda, getting ready to bed. And I hear this big wham in the back of my window. And I look over and I can see gourd juice running down. And I just, I just, man, I mean, instant just responded, jumped up. I'll call you back, my wife, and ran outside, standing in the parking lot in my underwear, looking around, you know. Thinking, Dude, I was like, oh, I'm at expense of my home now. I'm going to fight over this. I'm looking around, it's pitch black. No one's out everywhere. And I had shorts on, but nothing else, just shorts. And I'm walking barefoot down the alley, you know. I'm thinking, you know, I can't believe people's throwing stuff. And you know, break a window out, that's outrageous. Not to mention you got to drive down the road with the window out and wind's blowing in. It's just terrible. So I'm looking around, I don't see anybody. So I look around and I go uh, back in the motor home. And I lift up the back blind. It's just, they can't see, it's tinted. And I'm sitting there for a few minutes. I call her in the back and I'm talking to her about what happened. And I see out the window two boys crawl out from underneath of, under a vehicle from across the street. I said, hold on, I got him. I'll call you back. I ran back outside. And I said, hey! And they were just deer in a headlight. They were like, you know, <laughs> looking right at me. I said, hey, uh, someone threw a gourd at my bus. I said, did you guys see anybody? <laughs> They're like, no, man, we just came outside. We'll keep an eye out there for you. I'll tell you what, that happens around here all the time. And, and that's exactly what they were saying. And I walked over there and I said, come on, guys. And they were walking up to their house, which I learned in a few minutes that that was their house. And their mom comes on the front porch. And saw me out there, and she goes, what'd you boys do? And I said, oh, they're okay. I'm just having a chat with them. You, they'll be right in. So her mom went inside, and they were like, thanks, man. And I said, no. And I mean, I was given a context for ministry. I was given a unique opportunity to speak life. I mean, just, and again, I'm a, I'm a fairly witty individual. I just, I'm quick on my feet on this kind of stuff. I could have... Plain, flat, strong-armed, scared. I could, I, what I should, if I could go back and just say, hey, unless you're in church for the rest of this weekend, I'm telling the cops. Okay? I'm telling, and I learned, I learned that evening that the chief of police went to that town and they told me the next night that those two boys were in trouble. They were new to the area and caused nothing but havoc. I learned that later. But I, I could have told, and I missed that. And I just, and I went off on, I was so distracted. So I had forgotten the, that maybe, like this group here, it's interesting. The context of their ministry, it's suffering. See, they were hurt. They were losing their life. I mean, they were literally dying. They were just evangelism at their own cost kind of a deal. And Jesus is saying, well, what do we do in this situation? And Jesus is saying, that, that's all I want you. I put you there to do that. And I was given an opportunity with these guys. And instead I said, hey, don't throw things at my bus, it's my home. And they swore up and down they wouldn't. Well, I went to church the next day and I was sitting there and I walk in and, and uh, I didn't even have to bring those boys up. The chief of police happened to bring it up. There was a couple, they, I think they'd gotten in trouble earlier that night or something or that week in the town. And, and they had been praying for him. And they said, we've just been praying God would open up a door where we could get at him." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say a thing. I was just like, forgive me, Lord. I don't ever want to miss one of those again. I'm telling you, I don't ever want to miss one of those again. Because see, that, that had nothing to do with talent. You don't need to go to seminary to learn how to do this. 
Are you doing that here? Are you doing that here? It's going to be on tape. I'll have to edit this part out. At a church recently, in between pastors, they were looking for a pastor. Talked to me and my wife. Looking for a new pastor to come there. Smaller church. I made a joking comment, I should come. And she goes, no, we don't want a pastor with young kids. All they do is tear up the church. Is it any wonder why they have no young families going to their church? That's pathetic, folks. See, they're not... Jesus, we love you this evening. I just... Lord, that's the cry of my heart. That is the cry of my heart, Lord. I want to hold you up in my community. Just in my context. Lord, we gather here tonight and I've been included with North Pekin as part of their body this week and, and you've placed a, uh, a capable uh, leader among them and I love Roger and Nyla to pieces and just... Wh- where is a group, Lord? Are we not... Are we not functioning as you've called us to function. See, where, where are we not in a lampstand? Just, where have I just yawned my way through my life, through my job? I just... I believe you give each of us different platforms for ministry. And if, I think that's the way we see for... I think that's the way we were to see talents that we've been given a platform of ministry to hold you up. And I don't. I don't want to miss that opportunity. Lord, I've got a platform of ministry with my boy. He wants to do everything that I do. He wants to... I mean, just... I don't want him to walk away without knowing you. I just want to hold you up to him. My daughter, she just copies me and she watches me. and She wants to eat right-handed because I eat right-handed. I just... I want to hold I want to wash I want to wash her in your presence. I want to be a lampstand in the middle of my home. Jesus, I want to be a lampstand in the gym. I want to be a lampstand driving down the road. I don't want to operate out of the flesh. I don't want to be self-consumed. I don't want to lose sight of the kingdom. No longer having a kingdom perspective. But I want to be a partner with you in ministry, standing in the middle of my world and holding you up. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed and I want to give you an opportunity to respond tonight. Are you, uh, are you responding to your call to ministry within your context? I just, I can't tell you. I've been breathing as hard as I can down the necks of the churches in which I've been attending. I mean, you don't have to look to minister. I mean, we have been called to ministry. We've been called to hold up a lampstand. We've been called to hold up Jesus. I'm not talking about witnessing. I'm talking about being a witness. Being a proclamation of the gospel. See, what if being a Christian is just standing in the middle of my world and just loving Jesus with all my heart in front of everybody? I believe when that happens, He changes everything. And that's what ministry is. I'm going to have just the time to, to seek and pray tonight. and I'm going to ask my brother to come if he would be willing and maybe sing that song again for us. And I just want to give you an opportunity to, to seek and pray. And hey, I'm just going to be frank with you. Folks, this is your church. So no pressure on this. You don't have to... You don't have to it's not a bribery thing to get you to come down to an altar. Uh, I don't... 
judge my sermons by altar calls. But just, how bad do you want this? I mean, when's the last time you've fallen on your knees before God and said, Jesus, I, 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 we want our body to be used here at North Pekin. We want to be a vibrant force in this area for your kingdom and be used. And we want to hold up in the context of ministry in which you've placed our body in. We want to hold you up to, that, to those people. We want to be used in that capacity. So we're just going to kind of gather and pray for a time. And, and um, when that time is passed, I'll close us. So heads about and eyes are closed. If you'd like to respond, altars are open.